to the U.S. Fire Journal Podcast. We offer views and opinions on the fire service around the world with no topic too tough to handle. Visit us at usfirejournal.com for all your fire service information. Now, here's your host, Jay. Good afternoon and welcome into the podcast. Today is September the 8th. It's a Thursday. It's 2022 and pretty soon it is football season, at least with respect to the NFL. No colleges have kicked off for the main part. Um, And you know what? I was thinking to myself, why don't I do a podcast on a Thursday because I'd planned on doing one on Sunday. However, on Sunday, I'll be at a game and so not going to be able to do it then. So here I are. I want to start off by talking about something that I mentioned the other day, and I just want to uh, emphasize it again and, and add a little bit more. I did get some feedback from it. I talked to one fire chief, chief of department. He and I talked for about 45 minutes last night about it, and it was a good conversation. Um, he is a chief in a rapidly growing fire department that uh, answers a lot of fire calls. And uh, we we talked a little bit about it, and in the course of our conversation, I thought, what the heck, next podcast, I'm mentioning it again. Um, Here's the thing, right? In life, we're given opportunities to participate in things. Sometimes we participate in things that we like. Sometimes we, we participate in things we don't particularly like. But the bottom line is you have to make a decision. Each individual has to make a decision. Do you buy in, or frankly, should you just check out? Because here's the thing, and and here I'm talking about firefighting. Firefighting is uh, composed of perishable skills. A lot of people think, no, 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 that's not true. Once you learn to start a saw, you'll always know how to start a saw. That can be the case, but overall, most of the time, it's not. Um, Because it's not just about starting a saw. It's not just about putting a truck in the pump. It's about doing it quickly every time. And so in order to keep skills up, they have to be repetitive. You have to repeat them over and over and over. If you buy into learning all you can as a firefighter and then taking that next step and learning all you can and taking that next step and learning all you can, you're buying in. By buying in, you get better at skills. And if you're a pro, whether you're a first-year pro or a hundred-year pro, you're always looking and saying, you know, where can I improve? Where can I get better? That's not only buying into a department. That's buying into firefighting. And frankly, in any other thing, it's buying into excellence. The reason that some people are great at something is not necessarily because they were born for it. We hear that sometimes. Now, you can't teach seven foot. You just can't. If you're seven foot tall and you're kind of mobile, chances are you're going to be able to play basketball. Um, And you have a distinct advantage in many ways. But you can't teach seven foot. You have to be born with that. You can teach someone to be a good firefighter, but you can't make sure that they're going to get better. They have to do that. I hear from young guys. You know, sometimes I'm listening to them, reading posts they put up, reading comments and things. And some of them, I think, believe that the basics 
are beneath them. They don't practice them. They keep wanting to add progressively more difficult things, which in one sense is a positive. But in order to learn something new, you must first master that which, became, which came before it. No one runs before they can walk, not with any speed. No one can climb a mountain without first being able to climb a hill. It's the way life works. So, along those lines, what are you doing to buy into what's going on right now? Some people, after they've reached 14, 16 years uh, in the job, you can tell they're, they're starting to check out. Some people completely check out. Some people were really never there. And so for them, when you speak to them about, yeah, well, you know, maybe you could do this and do that, they're stunned. They're stunned that anybody could think that they weren't prepared for the job. But the bottom line is it doesn't matter how many years you have. It doesn't matter. One, 10, 20, 30, 40. If you're not buying in, you're checked out. Now, I know the excuses. You know, I was done wrong. Um, I'm just not into it anymore. I just don't feel like doing this job. And people get that. Frankly, I think we all get that. Getting it and thinking it is not a bad thing. Getting it, thinking it, and allow it to, allowing it to impact you is not a bad thing. We're humans, not machines. But staying that way, that's a choice. And you see... I can always tell people who are serious about the job because you can ask them, you know, what's the worst moment in your career? And they'll tell you. And my next question is, okay, what are you doing right now to prevent or make things better because of that? Typically, you'll get an answer that, you know, three to five minute answer. But when that answer isn't forthcoming or they go, ah, I gave up, those people have checked out. And quite frankly, they're dangerous in many ways. That's unfortunate because they put the people around them in danger. It's the same as if you go out and bring somebody in who's supposed to have a bunch of experience and knowledge and all this, and you find out real quick they really don't have much of anything. They too are dangerous. Typically, they're more dangerous to themselves than they are others. But it does get to a point where their screw-ups are compounding each day, like interest. It's compounding. And eventually, there's going to be a problem. And because everyone knows those people aren't worth the crap, it's going to look bad for everybody, especially the people that, you know, are in charge of these people when things go wrong. Because there's no way you're going to be able to say later on, well, yeah, you know, um, we didn't know about that. Not true. You knew, you did nothing. That's unfortunate. So the bottom line is, and I can't think of too many leaders out there who wouldn't agree. The bottom line is, leaders want people who've bought in. And there are people out there who, by their very nature, don't want to. And like I said, that's fine if you don't want to. It's fine if you have a problem with it. But it's your job. So you do have to buy in. And if you don't, then check out. Um, it's unfortunate, but it happens. It happens in every department, across the country, across the world. But the bottom line is, if you're a pro, 
you're buying in. You're not buying, you may not like the people, but you're buying in because you're a pro. And that's what pros do. I want to talk a little bit uh, about hose line advancement. And I genuinely believe that there's very, uh, very few departments out there who practice it enough. Because guess what? Here's the response from most people. I've pulled line before. Well, good. That's good. If you are jumping out of a plane, it's a good thing if you've practiced before, right? So it's a good thing. Yes, you've done it before. But have you done it enough? I watch people pull up the structure fires. And they don't start flailing after the line is stretched. They start flailing before the line stretched. There are all sorts of problems that happen, whether it's a pre-connect or building line. They, they happen. The reason they happen is typically because it's not something that is practiced enough to make people proficient. And understand, you don't want to practice just enough. That's not what a pro does. A pro practices because they don't want to be just good enough. They want to be great because it's what they do. It's tied to you. It's tied to your legacy as a person. You may go, well, that's ridiculous. I mean, all we got to do is just pulling, pulling some hose. What's the big deal? The big deal is, is that it's part of your package. It's part of a department's package. People are paying you to be proficient. People are paying you to be a pro. Be one. And here's the thing. Advancing hose lines starts way, way back at training. That's where it starts. It starts when you go to an area, a parking lot, let's say. You go to a parking lot. Um, and I know place I was, uh, I worked for, we used to go to a parking lot. Um, and they used to have a bunch of shopping carts out there before everybody kept them inside. We'd take the sharp shopping carts and we'd line them up. And we would pull hose one way, have the carts set up like a pathway and pull down that pathway, making left and right. You could make sort of a serpentine. And we wouldn't charge the line until everything was just, it was laid out good. And I got to tell you, it teaches you how to get around obstacles. Now, there are not a lot of places now that leave their shopping carts outside because guess what? They get stolen just about like everything else. But that's just an example of what you can do. You can go into a neighborhood you can stretch lines down in between houses. People will let you if you want to. The key is you have to ask. You can go to different places, pull lines, and see what you're getting. It's way too easy to sit around and do nothing. And frankly, there, there's an epidemic of that in a lot of departments. Hey, you know what? When it happens, we'll worry about it. Really? Well, I'm glad that you have that that attitude about it but the bottom line is I mean you're a loser and uh, that's just the way it is advancing hose lines building line being able to take a line into a home up the stairs and down a hallway is not something that's just gonna come naturally to you or your crew when a fire happens 
you have to practice. You have to practice putting water in the hose. You have to practice advancing charged hose lines. And I'm telling you, whether it's a one-station department or a hundred-station department, there are no excuses, not all the time. If you listen to excuses, you'll find the same people offering them up every time. And unfortunately, that is the, the M.O. of a lot of people. How much do you care? Do you care enough to be out there practicing? It's a good question. I got this, uh, I got an email, and I had planned on doing it when I did the questions and answers, but uh, this one kind of slipped through. But um, guy writes, and he said, man, he's like, uh, we have this new engine. This truck sucks. Um, it's in the shop constantly since we've gotten it. It, uh, it won't build pressure. At first it wouldn't build pressure. The pump wouldn't build pressure. Then we have brake problems, um, steering problems, and electrical problems. And anyway, he goes on to describe some, some more issues that deal specifically with some stuff. And then at the end, he's like, you know what? As a public service, would you tell your listeners uh, who made this truck so they don't go out and buy one? Well, that's a challenge. It is. And sometimes um, when there is an epidemic of this sort of thing, and there used to be more of these, 80s and 90s, there were, oh, man, there were fire apparatus manufacturers who put out trucks that, oh, dude, it was unbelievable. really was. Um, just crap. And there are some who still put out crap because... Many things change, but not everything. There's still substandard, standard, and above, you know, like uh, outstanding apparatus. But here's the problem with naming a company. If somebody, and everybody does, if somebody buys a rig from apparatus manufacturer Alpha, okay? Another one buys from Bravo, another one buys from Charlie, Delta, so on. One of the problems you run into is that no matter how many fire trucks a company makes, all of them are not bad. All of them are not good. It stands to reason that some people, if a hundred if a hundred departments are having a great great experience with this, you know, uh, apparatus manufacturer Alpha, there's going to be people out there who are not. So. Do you mention the make of a uh, of a fire? Uh, do you mention the builder of fire apparatus and say, "Gosh, these guys suck"? Well, here's my thing: only if it's happening to more than one department. Only if there's a pattern. It has nothing to do with being worried about somebody, you know, coming in and saying, "Hey, I can't believe you talked about our fire apparatus like that." Frankly, I don't care. If it's crap, people do need to know. But one experience does not mean that an entire product line or an entire manufacturing facility that the trucks they build doesn't mean they're crap. There are some that have significant problems. And there are others that their satisfaction rate is astounding. Um, you know, Pierce Aerials are one. Um, 
the Pierce Aerials, uh, this new Ascendant class and, and Midmount, all that, they have a remarkably good reputation. There were fire trucks that have remarkably bad re reputations. Um, you know, one was was a famous, famous uh, fire truck manufacturer, but American LaFrance, based on the people that I talked to um, and knew, you know, they had quite a few issues, and they're no longer building fire trucks. Um, they also had some great ones, and I heard as many good stories as bad, but I did... I did hear a lot of bad stories. So here's the point. Uh, to the person that sent this in, I don't know who you are because you sent it in anonymously, which is fine. But if you're listening to this, find out who else is having issues. That's not hard to do. All you have to do, go in, search and see who's bought apparatus from this manufacturer. It is on their webpage. Um, find out who's struggling with it. Find out if there are any issues. Find out about recalls. Find out about maintenance issues. Send it to me. I'll be happy to do a podcast. I'll do you one better. I'll do a podcast, and I'll write articles on it. Put it up on usfirejournal.com. If you have the receipts, in other words, if you have the evidence, the, the facts, I'll go after it. I don't mind. But and I know you gave me the name and the problems at your department's the problem your department's having but there's nothing i can do about that your experience i mean for all i know you could work for another manufacturer you know because there's a lot of that that goes on so send me more information and to everyone out there you know here's the thing um again some trucks it feels like they're built on a friday uh before a three-day weekend after after uh, uh, a horrible week at work that's how it feels like they come out they're not worth the crap they seem to have a lot of problems, but I don't care who you buy your apparatus from. If you don't take care of them from day one, they're going to give you issues. And going to different manufacturers is not going to do you a bit of good. There are good, uh, there are average, and then there are subpar. I need more to, to be able to tackle that. You know, here's another thing. I, I, was, uh, I was looking at some deliveries. Um, a lot of times I'll look at apparatus manufacturers and look at who they delivered it to and then try to find out what equipment they had on it. You know, here's a piece of advice. You're specking a truck, um, and don't let the salesman... <laughs> I know I said that the other day. Just, just don't. Buy the equipment that you use, okay? Buy the equipment that you use. Don't buy equipment that you don't use. You are not... Um, you know, you're not running a, a warehouse. Um, you don't want to have, you know, five of something that you never, ever use. It's, it's akin to uh, storing parts. And storing parts um, in your fleet, just storing them, costs you money. You paid for it. Now it's sitting at your place. You may use it. You may never use it. In this time of shortened supply chains and all the other excuses for why things can't be delivered um, you do want to be a little ahead you do so maybe you order one of something else but buy only what you use that's how you take care of the taxpayer money responsibly it all comes out at some point so be responsible about it 
Here's a topic that I rarely discuss, but I'll, I'll throw it out there. And, and that's communication. I call it communication chaos. Uh, it used to be you, you got a call from, uh, you know, you received a call from, from your communications division, dispatchers, control, uh, whatever you want to call your, your folks. They gave you information, you went out, and you did what you had to do. Now people are used to getting way more information than ever. And sometimes, I think in the rush to provide everything to everyone, uh, some essential information is perhaps thought of as, as secondary. For instance, when you put out a call, tell them what the call is. Nothing's worse than, than you know, getting, your, uh, getting alerted that your station needs to respond and, and not knowing what you're going for. Um, a lot of topics are very nebulous. Yeah, well, you know, we got a report of a fire. Sweet. Okay. Um, maybe don't put that at the very end of the dispatch. Um, there are all kinds of ways that, that chaos is created with respect to your communications divisions. I recall um, we had, at one place I was at, we had a very good communications division. They were outstanding. And then I went somewhere else, and it was lousy. Horrible. Um, don't know why people got paid to do what they did. And you can't always have great. You can shoot for it. But in between the great and the horrible, I'll, I'll take average. Um, because average beats below average every time. You want better, but you take average while you build it. But here's the thing, firefighters need to know, you know, obviously location, um, what type of call it is. Maybe put that at the start somewhere, um, you know, instead of waiting to the end. And I realize sometimes, or most often, uh, the people in communications division have never worked on the line. They, they don't know what firefighters really need because they've never uh, been a firefighter. And they certainly have their training and all this other stuff, and all of it's fine and good. But information delivered promptly in an order in which firefighters want it is outstanding. Here's one of the reasons why I like to hear when a dispatch comes out that whether it's a call for a building fire, you know, structure fire, automobile, whatever, firefighters have a small amount of time to get dressed. In their PPE. Oftentimes, uh, it is uh, speed is of, of the essence. If you're putting that out at the start, firefighters can start on the way to get dressed. They don't have to wait to the very end of the call, then rush out, try to throw their gear on as, as the truck's rocking because they need to get out. That shoot time's important. So by putting that at the front end, you know, this is a car fire, it's a woods fire, it's a building fire, whatever. It gives them that, that extra bit of time, and it doesn't have to be a lot, and often isn't, but it gives them that extra bit of time to be able to process what's going on, where it's at, and get dressed, get on the rig, and then head out the door. There are other reasons why you want it front-loaded, too. Look, if you're sitting in the station, you get a call, and it's a long dispatch, of which I think Dispatch times are growing longer um, with non-essential information. Uh, 
let us know where we're going, obviously, but let us know why we're going. That immediately transfers that frame of mind for that firefighter. That firefighter transfers from, okay, you know, we've got a plane down, plane crash. Okay, there's a, there's a mode I have to go into. If it's to help pick somebody up off the street, that's a different mode too. If it's, uh, you know, a building fire or, or a woods fire that's threatening structures or a woods fire that's not threatening structures, if you front load that information toward the front of the dispatch, it is far easier and better for firefighters to get in that appropriate frame of mind. It gets you moving. There's nothing worse than waiting to the last and then hearing, you know, okay, this is just a, uh, it's a garbage fire. You know, it's a, it's a wastebasket fire. Um, because then you get feeling as though you're in a rush because it doesn't matter how long the dispatch is. It's the frame of mind that matters. My opinion, front load the dispatch. Tell people what they're going for, where they're going, then add the information toward the end. Much, much better. That's going to do it for today. We'll be back on Monday with another podcast. Until then, stay safe.